Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 140 with our guest, Jen Letterer. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, welcome back to this episode of The Hidden Entrepreneur Show, where we are still coming to you live. I love saying that. Oh, coming to yeah. you, right? Coming to you live, there's truth to that, at the uh, Propelify Innovation Festival, the Aaron Price created event. Happy to be here, and even happier to be here sitting across from. I love being face to face with people, and you are people. I am. So well, the, yeah. Am I people? They, am they, I plural? Well, they say on paper, they said I will be with a people. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. I am. I am the people. It is Jen Letterer. Hi, who, everyone. Yes, hello. Uh, you bill yourself, this is fascinating, as a dancer turned serial entrepreneur, wait for it, turned motivational comedian. That's right. I don't know if I've heard those two words put side by side often. You've a not. A motivational comedian. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that you will make me laugh and you'll make me feel good about myself? That so, I should get something done? <laughs> yeah, you need to go make something of yourself, Josh, yeah. immediately. Well, it's about time. Right? I mean, come on. I think that all comedians are motivational comedians at their highest form because comedy is just an invitation to look at something from a new perspective. And motivation happens in those moments when you say, wait a minute, maybe I was wrong. Wait a minute, maybe this is possible. There's these pockets of possibility that happen when you become motivated. And laughter is one of the quickest ways to shut your ego up and kind of, you know when Caesar Milan taps the dog on the back? Yeah, she'll like snap them yeah. out of whatever tantrum yeah. they're in. That's what laughter does to your ego. You are, I, I love that. I get that. I hear what you're saying. On, on, on one side, it sounded like you said all comedians are or should be motivational comedians. But if I watch you perform in that, in that heading, does it resemble a, a standard typical stand-up yeah or yeah i'm just talking about things like crystals and meditation and uh hitting your upper limits is this true yeah and you use comedy as the vehicle through that yes yes because my 
road to wellness and positive thinking and all that was very skeptical. I'm born and raised Pittsburgh, and that's a very skeptical town. There's like a ceiling of happiness. So when I I started hearing, shout out to Pittsburgh, um, these things like um, positive thinking and the secret and law of attraction and duh, I was like rolling my eyes hardcore. But then I started to practice some of the things and realize, oh shit, this stuff works. And so I'm kind of that bridge for people who are skeptical, but also in pain, right? They want their lives to change. And so if you can laugh at it, like laugh at meditation, make fun of it, but do it you're going to get the benefits of it. You don't actually have to not judge meditation in order to get the benefits of it. Meditation doesn't care if you judge it. You're allowed to. And then you do it and you get something from it. And so I, that was my entryway into it. And that's how I present it. So today, as a motivational comedian, yes. uh, you, you do like a... Um, like a performance in a comedy club or do I go see you at a theater? How do, how do I see you? I'm all over the place, Josh. The question is, how do you not see me once you get into my world? Yes, I perform at comedy clubs and then I also produce my own shows at different clubs and venues. And the shows that I produce are much more geared toward social experiments. I want you to have a full kind of transformational experience when you come into one of my shows and I just happen to use comedy as my tool for transformation. Whereas, you know, other people use other tools for transformation. And then in in a club, it's very um, fun for me to get introduced as a motivational comedian and then everyone like crosses their arms and they're like, what is this shit right here? Yeah. And and then they realize it's (laughs) like it's the same thing i'm just talking about (laughs) things from my perspective which is different than like a a straight white dude that's never meditated wow i i love this because um i i mean we didn't we didn't compare a lot of notes before we uh got behind the mics but i spent uh 15 years in the acting and film world okay with a uh the majority of that focus in the comedy world okay um I wouldn't label it motivational comedy, uh-huh. uh, but it, it was, you know, your, your standard comedy. Uh, I was part of a comedy duo for many years and that's cool. just what we did. And we did, we did the stand up scene cause that's where we can get stage time. Yep. I love, I love comedy looking back. I see why I went into it. I, I see all the reasons that I felt comfort there. Mm. Lots of unhealthy reasons, but I, I get it now. I was trying to, uh, you know, seek the approval. I think if I can, you know, win your laughter and applause, you might like me enough to make me feel validated. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. You have a similar? So what's interesting is I didn't really get drawn to comedy until I was at a place where I wasn't seeking validation. Where I I'm sorry, say that double negative again. You, you, I, you didn't... I didn't get into comedy until I was at a place where I wasn't seeking validation. Wow. For most of my 20s, I was seeking validation from every external source you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, didn't find it. Yeah. Um, but I thought comedy was the one art form I'd never do. I was like, I've been in point shoes. That's as masochistic as it gets. <laughs> I'm not, there's, there's nothing worse. And then there is. Um, and I was drawn to it because again, skepticism, I guess. But you know, what's interesting in that is I've always been a source of light in a room and every room I've been in, 
Even when I was in like really dark places, people will come up to me and say, what are you doing here? Like you're, one of these things is not like the other and it's you, but I've always been drawn to shadows, to the darkness, towards people's kind of hurt places. And I think that's really what draws me to the comedy world. There's so much pain, there's so much insecurity, there's so much confusion, and then there's this tool of laughter where when you watch a comedian, they're just up there trying to fucking find themselves, right? You're just watching someone work through their own thing standing basically naked for you on stage. That's when it works. And that's when it works. And then the athleticism of finding the different perspectives and how many ways can I approach this. Comedy is life coaching in action, right? How many ways can you look at this without judging it and just finding new perspectives on it? Same thing you do when you meet a new character, right? When you're an actor and you look at a script. You can't judge the character. You can only get curious about them. And so comedy kind of gave me that lens for life um, where no other tool was working. Like just regular positive affirmations and like choosing to look at the bright side. I'm like, no, I actually want to look at the shadows. I really want to get curious about that without judging it. And comedy is like, well, that's what we do. You spent a lifetime as a dancer prior to the comedy, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is which is more difficult, dancing or comedy? They're both difficult for different reasons. Um, dance requires a full lifestyle. You are a dancer all day, every day. It informs what you eat. It informs how you treat your body. It informs every choice that you make. And also there's a very much a time limit, right? By 35, you're really, if you are a professional dancer still, you're soaking in ice cubes every night and it's just a very painful life. So that's difficult. Comedy is difficult because there's no one way to do it. And so you're constantly looking for your own way. You have to trust your own intuition. It's a career of judgment, right? You get on stage and the audience's job is to judge you. Instantly. Instantly. Instant feedback, right? Instant. They either laugh or they don't, right? right? You know right away if you're killing it or you're not. And what's great is there's no age limit. You can start as late as you want. You can do comedy forever. There's so many ways to use this art form. And I love that. I love how like infinite it is. So you said, if I heard this correctly, you added the comedic aspect. You were sort of finding the personal growth and development through the meditation and the lifestyle. You were doing that. And then you you saw, okay, I'm going to add the comedic layer to this and ride that. Yeah. So I was a motivational speaker. And after every talk, people will come up to me and say, I want more of your funny stuff. Your stories are hilarious. I've resonated with that part so much. And so it was just the feedback, people saying more of that, more of that. And me saying, no, I don't want to. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to ignore it. I, who am I? I'm not a trained comedian. Who am I to be funny or to claim that I am a comedian? And I had a lot of... Really? Yeah, I had a, a lot of beliefs that um, since I'm good looking, I can't also be funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I no one, no yeah. one's going to allow that to yeah. happen. So right. I'm not even going to try. Right. I just sold myself out of a lot of things until I just couldn't ignore it anymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try. Let me hear that again. Be- you told yourself because you were good looking, you also yeah. cannot be funny. I know. I don't get a lot of pity for that comment. Let me tell you. Um, but it's the truth. You know, yeah. there's a lot of belief that uh, good looking women aren't supposed to be funny right and now you realize and if you're, you are you better be self-deprecating which you're not no i'm no. not now you realize you're hot and hysterical basically yeah. josh that's my tagline yeah that yeah that forever that is how people will be yes. introducing me on stage <laughs> you're like hey i am hot <laughs> and hysterical check and check right unless you don't laugh and that's your fault right and for those not um with the um benefit of a visual aspect to uh to my to my vantage point here you're wearing a bowler hat yes i am <laughs> Yes. Which I guess that goes with the comedy. Shout out to Chaplin. I know. (laughs) I saw that this morning and I'm like, and she's wearing the hat. Listen, I like to fully commit, Josh. So. Right. So you got the the comedy aspect. You realize, wait a minute, I have to put that false story that I was telling myself aside that a good looking woman can also be funny. And you, you, you took that leap of faith. I did. And what, what I find so intriguing is that, I, and I know you have a lot of these stories. I I realize now looking back on my unhealthier days that I sold myself lots of lies mm-hmm. as truth uh, and just tried to validate that comfort. Painful, yes, but a lot of comfort there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very comfortable at getting so close to what I want and then not getting it. That is the story of my lineage we actually have a saying in my family called letter luck, which is like Murphy's law. But it, we fully embodied the concept that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And um, so I've done a lot of inner work to change the definition of what that means. I'm redefining what letter luck looks like. And to me, it looks like, yeah, you, you're lucky enough to define your own life, create a, quote, new part of comedy called motivational comedy and giving myself permission to do the things that are a little offbeat from what everyone else is doing because that's always where I've thrived and every time I've tried to just do the regular way I would not do it I would sabotage it I would be incredibly unhappy I would be comparing myself left right and center and it wasn't working I was doing all of the steps and then never getting there Let's talk about that, uh, that word sabotage. Yeah. Uh, let's frame it in the context of your, your life as a dancer, which was what, 20 years, 20 plus years? Yeah, 23 years. 23 years. Mm-hmm. So you started as a, as a very young girl, that mm-hmm. typical story, yeah. and you had the skill and the talent and your family supported you and mm-hmm. said, we're going to be the, the stage moms oh, and all yeah. that stuff. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's almost required, right? To, to yes. support that career of yours. Yes. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of weekends. It's a lot of driving to all of the competitions and, and all of that. And they were completely for it. You wanted to do it. You, you found interest in dancing. I did. My my older sister, I have two older sisters. The middle one got put into a dance class and I wanted to do anything she was doing. And so I went and she hated it and I loved it. And so my mom made her keep going because she didn't want me to have to go by myself. So my sister still hates me for that. She was stuck in dance for a long time. (laughs) Because your mom's like, don't screw this up for Jen. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, wow. I'm that younger sister. Was this anything like you see on TV or the movies where it's like Jen's our ticket out of here? Whatever, um, whatever that meant. Whatever that means. I don't know if they thought I was their ticket anywhere, but I certainly <laughs> was the one that was going to get the chance to finally do the dream. Leave right? Pittsburgh. Well, no. Oh. My mom wanted me to do the dream, but in Pittsburgh. Oh, my. Is that even possible? No, Josh. It's not possible. <laughs> and every time I go home still, my mom tries to sell me on how up and coming Pittsburgh is. I'm like, listen. <laughs> up and coming on what? It's Right. It's doing a lot of great things. But, <laughs> but dance is not, dancing it's not comedy. on the forefront. I mean, of, right. Dance and comedy. Not really. It's not. No. But I was... My mom was a dancer, and so when I really started to get serious about it, she was very supportive. And um, my my dad is an electrician, and my mom is a ventriloquist, <laughs> and then there's me. So it makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, and so my mom was like, listen... You, I'm sorry, you, you just never hear that phrase often enough. My mom's a ventriloquist. No, 16 puppets. All different voices, backstories. I would go to bed with a different voice telling me a story every night. Very strange. What, like a professional ventriloquist? Yeah. That's no joke, that. Um, no, it's not. Ask, just ask Terry Fader. That's right. I mean, she, she she's a lot of where I get who I am from. But um, she she definitely was excited that I wanted to get into dance. And so she sold my dad on the whole vision. She's like, we are letting Jennifer do this. We are going to support her. And then I graduated with a degree and quickly uh, realized I didn't want to dance. Was there insecurity throughout this? Um, you know, Josh, I don't teenage, know what you're picking up on there. Teenage years? <laughs> yeah, there was a ton of insecurity. A ton. I was the popular girl to hate in high school. What does that mean? Like mean girls? Yeah. What are we talking about? I was... so Okay, so what happened was... I was the mean girl, like the mean girl at seventh and eighth grade. Wow. And then you we're, were. we're wow. going to get real here for a second, okay? Yes. So my best friend's boyfriend in eighth grade ended up sexually assaulting me. So I warned you. Yes. We're going there. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So in that literally overnight, he went to school. That happened on a Friday. He went to school on Monday and said, hey, just so everyone knows, Jen's a big slut. Here's what happened. She can she'll sleep with anyone. Um, oh, FYI. Man. Oh man. So overnight, I had a bunch of eyeballs on me in a really negative way. <clears throat> teachers included. Like I walked in on teachers talking about me because they believed face value this story. Yeah, we've heard. I mean, like I had. I, I've heard that story. You know, to to right. somebody in my school, it's so unfortunate. Right, of course. Yeah. And so that was when number one, my comedy really sharpened. I learned to be sarcastic. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I learned to put up the walls. I learned to roll with the guys. I learned to not trust women, and I learned that it wasn't safe to be seen. Like, not really. Don't don't garner too much attention because it's painful, and people don't believe you. So hide. And um, that was the driving factor up until I got into therapy when I was 28. After like bad relationship after bad relationship, I finally was like, maybe, maybe that thing that happened to me is actually informing way more of who I am than I ever wanted to admit. So that incident, that happens, you hear his uh, take on it. What, what do you literally do? 
do to survive? Are you trying to counter it and, and tell your side? Are you just quiet about it? Something in the middle? I went completely quiet and I would make um, screwdrivers before school. At how old? Eighth grade. Yeah, that's about so 14. 12, yeah. Oh, yeah. 12, 13. Yeah. So I was drinking really? two or three screwdrivers before school every day. So obviously there was um, alcohol in the house that, that you were sneaking. Yeah. This was, this was a sneak. Yeah. So you would make this. Mm -hmm. and, and I would sit at the kitchen table with my mom drinking what looked like orange juice. Oh my. And you're chugging. Um, and I'm mixed. drinking and I'm getting plastered. Why? What, what literally was that doing for you? I didn't have to feel. Mm. I didn't have to feel the judgment. I didn't have to really register what was being said about me. I didn't have to realize all my friends were gone. Oh, I didn't actually have any friends. They were all just with me because I was popular and the guys loved me. And all of that was gone. And so went my validation and my worth yeah. and all of it for a very long time. And so this whole, you know, when circling back to my looks and, and the way people react to that, it started very early on that my looks were going to be a problem. You know, they were going to be the source of why people gave me bad attention and why women hated me. And so I, I, I didn't know what to do with that other than to learn how to hide and, and try not to, to offend anybody by taking what wasn't mine, right? Which was the narrative that my best friend, who was no longer my best friend, said to me, you stole him, you ruined it. You know, how dare you? And, and so I just embodied all of those stories. And the dance studio was the one place I could go after school and number one, feel safe in my body, be present with my body. I was always sober by the time I got to the dance studio. By, and, um, by choice. Yeah. And I was safe. So dance was my lifeline for a long time. Wow. And now, before we talk about how that ended how that came to an end. Let's talk about the sabotage aspect of it that mm -hmm. we were talking about before we turned on the mics just to get a taste of it. Um, you would uh, you would find yourself doing what in that regard? What were some of the situations? How would you sabotage what was going on? I would go to auditions and I would sit in the waiting room and look around and be like, "Ugh, all these girls are so annoying. Like no one's talking about anything. I, you know what? I don't, I don't even want to book this job. This would be ridiculously boring. So you were protecting yourself, protecting myself, talking myself out of it. I would almost always get a call back and I wouldn't go. And it would be because I was hungover or, it was, By choice. Or it was raining. Right. Oh, God, I can't yeah. go to an audition. It's raining. I melt, apparently. Yeah. Um, all choice. All choice. Whether conscious or subconscious. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And hindsight, I think sabotage is misguided self-love. Break that down. What does that mean? So when I look back at how insecure I was and, and what my trauma was... To go into the entertainment business is a cocktail of disaster. Yes. Right? So if I look at my soul was literally burning bridges on my behalf. Like, do not cross that bridge. Do not go that deeply into this industry. You're not ready yet. And so I look back on it and I see the strength of my intuition, of my soul that knew this is not a no. It's just not, it's not yet. And it's not this way. It's not through dance. Dance is what got me to New York, mm. but it was never going to be what kept me here. 
so I've learned. Um, but the, the sabotage was intense and confusing because I wanted to be seen. And every time I got close to actually getting it, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't let it in. And that was true in relationships. That was true in professional relationships. It was true everywhere. Yeah, I fully understand that and lived it in the entertainment world and out of the entertainment world. You mentioned um, Upper Limits earlier, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what I'm really understanding about life and how we react to things mm -hmm. if we let that. Because if it was like in the, in the acting world... I would I would do the same thing because you don't feel worthy, validated mm -hmm. that you're right for it, that mm -hmm. you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. um, and then in relationships, that was just always, always uh, a mess. What a right? shit show. Oh, constantly. There was never uh, there was never any sort of healthy anything. Like I said, right. motivational comedy. I've never seen together a healthy relationship. Those two things were never together. You'd go in and I would I would I would sabotage it. And, right. you know, I I I. I intimacy issues <laughs> but I, I i wouldn't say it like that right I, I would say other things like that but not that like can we cuddle i don't know what i would say but sure it didn't work yeah and i think that that was <laughs> intimacy issues <laughs> <laughs> i've worked on them <laughs> i hope so josh uh, <laughs> well thank you I, I thought that i couldn't Another reason why I didn't know if comedy was going to work is because by the time I came around to thinking about doing it, I was starting to have a healthy relationship with myself. And I was starting to feel like mentally healthy and live in a world where I wasn't always pessimistic. I'm like, this isn't the makings of a comedian. Like, what am I doing? You oh, have to be yeah, in a yeah. terrible depression in order to be a comedian, right? But you're using, in all in all fairness, you're using the terrible depression as, as some of the source, right? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. But, but you certainly do not need to be terribly depressed. To no, right. no. And I'm grateful for the time when I'm coming up in comedy because in the 90s, you know, Lisa Lampanelli needed to be the queen of mean if she wanted to get any airtime. That's just the way it was. There was not going to be a woman on stage that was confident. If you're going to be on stage, you better question if you should be there. And the whole time you're up there, talk to us about how you're questioning your worth. Like, that was kind of the only formula. You know, the Janine Garofalo's, all of that oh, vibe wow, yeah. of like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I exist. I yeah, I want to um, go back and then connect these two dots to the life as a dancer, um, drinking cocktails as a young teenager before yeah. school, um, yet trying to live a life of dance and then sabotaging it as a young adult. Um, where did that ultimately lead before you got out? Did it come to a head at any point? Um, before I quit? Sure, if that's what dance? happened, yeah. Um, yeah. How bad did it get? It didn't get terribly bad. There was not like one rock bottom moment. It was just a numbness of it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. And I'm the reason why. And so I finally, one of my friends, I think, overheard me saying to someone, I'm a dancer. You know, I was introducing to myself, hey, what do you do? I'm a dancer. And they looked at me and they said, you haven't been in a dance studio in nine months. And I was like, you're right. I have not. 
and I was just parroting, here's what I do, but I wasn't actually doing it. And hearing that, I'm grateful for that friend for calling me out because it made me look at it and say, what happens if you just stop telling people you're a dancer? What if when people ask you what you do, you say, I'm figuring it out. I used to dance. And that really was the shift. How old was, were you, mid-20s at this point? Yeah, 23. So you knew that you had to take an honest look. Were you, were you ready? To hang that up, hang that identity up, right? Because right. now you had your your mom, I'm That's sure, right. her voice. That's right. I had everyone's voice, including my own, because it's one thing to leave an industry because you've found this new thing. It's another to leave it because you've just fallen out of love with it and you don't know what's next. And I was a dancer my whole life. That was the only identity I've ever had. And I didn't know who I was. And luckily, I lived in a home with four other artists who were there to kind of help me explore all kinds of angles. I ended up writing an album and an off-off-Broadway show and doing some singing stuff and literally finding my voice, which was very helpful. And what about the um, alcohol? Did that subside the or did that increase? Subsided. Uh, it increased heavily during that time. During the find myself phase, I could have sworn it was going to be at the bottom of the next bottle. Like I'm, I'm waiting for myself down there. I just got to get there. And then when the bottles didn't have the answer, I tried cocaine and ecstasy. Oh really? And, oh, listen, I went down the list. Oh really? Um, no, none of those had the answer. And then I went to therapy after five years of trying everything I could. And in that, even when I was a mess and spiraling, I was found myself running a talent management company. At 25, I ran a talent management company for five years, representing actors for film, TV, and theater. One that you founded or one that you were working with? I started working with them and then I took it over. What company was this? Uh, it was called Merging Artists okay. Management. And when I first met them, they were running it out of the Producers Club on 44th Street. Oh, my God, the Producers Club. You know Haven't the Producers heard. Club. I performed there, of course. Ooh. Who hasn't? Oh, my God. There are so many souls stuck in that building. <laughs> like, I don't know if you can feel it when you walk in there. It's still there? Yes, it's still there. Wow. It's still there. Um, so, anyway, I went, I was working there, and that's where I was, I was able to reconnect to working with artists in a new way and see myself as the mentor and as a leader and I could have some power again and I was making decisions and I was learning the ropes. I love it. That is what got me back up because I was good at it. It had somewhere to put my fire and like negotiating was really fun. Before that job, I was selling comedy tickets on the street before I was interested in doing comedy at all. So was there any win in that or was that a low point? It was a very low point. That was the height of my drug use. And I found the job on Craigslist and I went and it really just felt like the job I deserved. I was like, yeah, you can go stand on the corner. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, it was, I, it was a lot of self-hatred going on. Wow. And then uh, what I love about that is um, I found a similar thing in my role as, as a podcaster. 
I found that that gave me a sense of worth and value and success and knowledge mm -hmm. and ability that I can use that as a foundation and really as, as a launching pad, as a diving board for everything. And I credit this very medium to that less than a year and a few months ago. I love that. I, I left a, um, I was, I was running my own digital marketing agency for 10 plus years, but it got very very toxic and I knew I needed to leave just like any other relationship and yeah. I said I gotta get out of here this right. isn't gonna change but the whole time you're trying to make changes you know do different things and it just didn't work so I took some time and then said I I just want to start a podcast I'll probably enjoy it it'll it'll show me a way I'll be good at it and now I have opportunities like this, and that's literally what I'm building. And now I have an abundance of opportunities, a, a plethora of um, you know opportunity and confidence that have just been built from that foundation. And it sounds like the talent agency did a very similar thing for you. You're like, you know what? I I, I got something within. Yes, and I'm good at it. And I'm, there you go. And I can help other people in the process. That was important for me to realize, oh, I don't want to just pursue my own light. I want to help other people step into the light. Um, but that was a sneaky way that I was able to be like adjacent to the light and closer to it than I'd been, but still sabotaging myself is like, oh, here, everyone else go on stage, but I'm still going to stay in the shadows. I did that. I yes, yes. I used to do that too, where you would help people, yeah. thinking you're helping them, but you're still like yeah, you're, you're still putting yourself out. second. Right. Still putting yourself second. Right. Yeah. It was just a. It was the universe warming me up. Like that's fine. You're, she's a little closer. She's on. She's on deck. Like she's she's getting ready, and uh, it took me five years, and eventually. You know, I looked around and I was like, you know, I keep telling everybody else that it's safe to shine, but I'm not acting like it. Yeah. When is it my turn? Yeah. And do I need to be the 85-year-old that gets interviewed and says, you know, I just wish I would have given myself a chance. Like, no. Oprah has interviewed enough people at this point that I know I will regret <laughs> if I don't just try. It's so true. And I always thought that if I were to shine myself, knowing darn well what I'm capable of, I knew my, I knew my whole life. Right. But I just, well, no, I can't. I, I, I'm not that person. I already established the identity. Right. I know. I know. I know who I am. I know my box. And okay. everyone else knows too. I don't want to confuse them. Right. I don't want to make them feel awkward mm -hmm. or put them in a weird situation. So I'm just going to yeah, show up this way and here's who I am. Will you like me? No, I'm not going to like you. Yeah. Oh, okay. But it's all premeditated. It's yes. what I was going for. Yeah. What I felt was that if I dare say, wait a minute, I can, uh, I can do good things. I can find something I'm good at and do it really well because that's really what I want. And I'm at a point where I'm finally going to go for it. I thought that all these people would retaliate right? and I wouldn't have had the strength or ability to stick up for myself and say, Oh, I don't care what you think I got this mm -hmm. or big deal. Or who are you? What's mm -hmm. the difference? Let me do it. Mm -hmm. But did they even retaliate? You're reading my mind. <laughs> no, that's the point. <laughs> Right. That's the point. Right. Not only don't they, they're nowhere to be found. Right. Nobody retaliates because really nobody gives a crap. No one cares. Nobody cares. 
Nobody cares. They care as much as you let them care, as long as you bring them into your world and say, here, rip me down, you know, keep me down. I'm going to, then they care because they're like, oh, okay, I'll be that person for you. Mm -hmm. The yin and the yang. I see who you need, what you need, and I'll be that opposite, that Mm -hmm. opposing force. But once you're like, I got this, I'm going to go. No, nobody retaliates. Right. They're nowhere. And not only are they nowhere, who, who is everywhere? People like you. The strong, right? Mm-hmm. People. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is great. Look at all these amazing people. Right. They're and people than, who are inspired by watching you do what you just did because they secretly want to do the same thing. It works. I was very scared though when I was when I realized I didn't want to be a talent manager anymore. My people pleasing tendencies really flared up because I now had this whole roster of actors that were going to be orphans if I left and became what they might perceive as their competition. So their cheerleader is now out on the streets with them. And who is she? And was she lying to me this whole time? And was this her plan the whole time? And I just went into this whole story. And every, first of all, when I realized I wanted to leave, I found a business partner who could take it over because I really, actors work so hard to get representation that that was important to me to not just leave them hanging. But I was still scared. And every single one of them, when I sat down and said, here's what I want to do. They all said, I've been waiting. I've been waiting because I just, every time I met with you, I'm like, why is she a manager? I mean, she's good at it, but what else does she want to do? And they were very much, they had my back and were waiting. It was was like I was the the lesbian at the table that everyone knew was gay and was just like waiting for her to come out, you know? Like everyone knew except me. You've spoken a little bit about... um personal growth and development uh was it uh, was it evident more in your current life or was there always you know trying and focus on it even in years past um in college i got introduced to a woman named janelle burdell she's an amazing drummer she toured with the grateful dead for a long time and aretha franklin and amazing hippie woman who introduced the concept of law of attraction to me right before i moved to new york and her her way of living it is what sold me because she wasn't talking to me about it. She wasn't lecturing me. She wasn't telling me what I needed to know. She would just say, hey, come hang out. Come hang out and bang on this thing called an udu drum, which is a clay African drum. Have you ever seen them? You sit in a circle on, and it's like in your lap. It's an amazing drum. You literally can't play it wrong. And she would just sit there and drum with me and I would feel better. And I was like, you know what, there's, there's something to all of this. So she kind of set me on a path right before I moved to New York. She planted a very important seed that kept coming back. And she would also check in with me every couple months and be like, hey, how uh, how you doing up there in New York? And, you know, I wasn't doing well for almost a decade. But she kept checking in and encouraging me and not by way of lecturing just by way of connecting and so that's what i try to do with the comedy i'm not here to lecture you i'm here to connect with you through laughter so comedy let's connect that because comedy is very um it's difficult yeah how from from the dance from the talent management 
how did we then how, how did you arrive at comedy um, it has been chasing me my whole life. I've always been drawn to, especially physical comedy. Um, Jim Carrey was one of my like lighthouses growing up. Um, but I never, oh, and when I was in fourth grade, I had my mom call the school and ask if I could audition for Shmee in Peter Pan. Um, they wouldn't let me, because it was a boy part. Uh, and then they cast me as the mom. So it was just a really, well, yeah, I was like, wow, did they not hear me? <laughs> did they not hear me? So I've been like always interested in comedy, but I never thought that I was trained enough to do it. Whatever. I talked myself out of it. And then I went to an intuitive painting class in February of 2018. And I painted an owl. And when I was done painting, I heard a voice that said, start comedy now. And I happened to know the woman who booked the room where that event was and there was a fake brick wall behind me and i went up to her immediately and i was like can i produce a comedy show in this room and she said yeah i'll give you a three-month residency what do you want to do <laughs> it's fantastic and i was like oh shit now i have to produce a comedy show what is that gonna look like um and so that's how it started <laughs> yeah. Right? Isn't that how everyone Always, starts right. comedy? You, you, guys, you paint the owl. You paint first, paint right. the owl. You hear the voice. Right. You see the brick wall. Is it not simple? But we all do, literally, we, we all have our version of that metaphor. Yes, we do. Paint the owl. Yeah. Go deep. Think about it. Really. Well, and I didn't, I wasn't there to paint the owl. I was there to paint. And they gave oh. the word curiosity. Mm. And we were just supposed to see what came out. And, uh. You can see it on my website. The picture of the owl is on my about page if you're that curious about it. But um, Oh, I'll be going. Okay. Yeah. It's a cool-looking owl. He, yeah. And he sits in my uh, office, and he still kind of whispers out sometimes on certain directions to don't, go. Don't you believe, though, we all have that those moments, whether it's literally painting an owl. Exactly. In, in your case, literal. Yeah. But we all have our version of painting the owl, don't we? Day we in do. and day out, perhaps. Yes. Of things we, yeah. And we have our ways that we speak to whatever you consider your higher power um my higher power has to be very literal with me because i'm very stubborn and so they had <laughs> the universe had to be like okay have her paint the owl and then she's gonna hear a voice and then she's not gonna ignore this one you guys <laughs> like she's gonna finally get the message um i the universe has always kind of hit me over the head with signs people showing up opportunities showing up books being recommended to me and that i think we all have um and we actively ignore it we actively ignore it until the exact moment when we're ready to hear it i was ready to hear it that day i could have ignored that so true. i could have easily written that off as you know weed uh, yeah wow <laughs> let's okay um the my brand the hidden entrepreneur founded on the premise that I spent a lifetime hiding behind, really behind fear, using that as an excuse for everything. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a time where, where fear really took, took over and you could have gone in either direction, but you knew you had to go in the right direction. Um, geez. I mean, all of my twenties, I think the decision to take over the talent management company when I was 25 and had been working for them for only a couple months, but I knew that I could do it better than they were doing. 
and I had built enough relationships. Who do you think you are Who with that hell? confidence? I mean, really. But you had the confidence. I did. Yeah. And I had the intuition. And I had the willingness to just try and be willing to fail and be willing to fall on my face. And um, that's where I bet on myself. That was the first time when I said, I can do this. And I'm going to put all the bills in my name. And I'm going to put this entire roster of talent on my back. And I'm going to see what we can do. And I did it. What allowed you to do that? Was it basically a last straw that you're like, I know I've always can do this and now I'm just going to do it? Like, how? It was a last straw. Because, the, again, the job I had before that was selling comedy tickets on the street. And the next corner I was going to go stand on was going to be even darker than the last. And I wasn't going to let that happen. I think we all know what you're talking about. So, yeah. 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 Wow. I mean, and truly, that's yeah. not wow, an exaggeration. No. Wow. Yeah. Uh, my God, I feel like we can just go down so many, so many roads and paths and talk for, for so long. And I feel like we, we really only even still barely scratched the surface. Yeah. Right? yeah. There's so much more we can, we can go down. Um, what do you think the message is here if we're tying this up for the person listening? What should they take away? What should they know? What should they do next? Um, I hope what people take away is that wherever you are right now is perfect. Why it's, and how that is? Why? Um, well, you won't know why until down the line because hindsight is where you see the perfection. So don't try and see it. Don't try and make sense of it. That That's going to confuse you. Um, and I think that's what I've learned from my own journey looking back and seeing how much I beat myself up when it didn't didn't make sense and didn't look like what anyone else was. And it never makes sense. Never Life makes sense. Life literally never makes sense. Ever. And, and yet we're find, looking yeah. for it. Yeah. In everything. There's no sense. No sense. Right. We're these things, these awkward. Stuck awkward. in this meat suit called we a are, body. Yes. And you're wearing a bowler hat. It just doesn't make sense. I know. None I'm of sorry, it I does. I had to go full circle. There. Thank you for bringing it back. Or partial circle. What a callback, you guys. <laughs> Professional comedian over there. <laughs> Um, but it's true, though. We yeah. are all I, I, I have a talk that I give. It's called Embrace Your Awkward mm -hmm. because we are all uh, always awkward. Yes, that's Constantly. what we love about comedians. They're willing to get up on stage and show the awkward. And we're like, oh, my God, they're doing it. They're saying the thing that I think. That's oh, my the... God, they do the thing that I do when I'm home alone. And I thought I was the only one that did it. Yes, that's the basis of Embrace Your Awkward, and that's what you're right. That's what comedians do. That's what makes it funny. That's what makes it motivational as well. Wow. So we are all awkward. I love that you said, um, um, when I said, what are we saying here? What's the message? That it's your, how did you phrase it? You're perfect where you are? Right where you are is perfect. I'm learning that. It's a tough, tough lesson. You can go your whole life knowing that, but never, never embracing it, never believing it. Never yeah. acknowledging it, right. but it's true. It's like, I want to be doing things right now that are just like, it just keeps, they, they, always, they always seem to be like progressingly unattainable. Like, oh, right. another few months, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Well, no, it's like, okay. It's and right. that, that habit will follow you all the way to the Oscars stage or whatever big yes. award you yes. want, whatever accolade you think is going to make that voice go away. Yeah. It'll get louder. Do you know the book, The Go-Giver? No. 
It's written by Bob Berg and John David Mann. Okay. Um, I, I've interviewed both of them for my show independently. I've, uh, I'm very close with John David Mann. Um, he told me a story on, on my show that just fascinates me. It, it's one of those, you should read it. You'd like it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a good um, you know, self-help book. Sold like a million copies, literally. It's one of those great I books. I mean, you know. if we're throwing numbers around. <laughs> Uh, so he told me that um, they were rejected. It's one of those stories where they were rejected by like 25 publishers before mm -hmm. it got published. But he said, what's interesting is after the first 12 rejections, we knew we had to make some changes. So we went back, we revised some things, and then ultimately it went on to be a bestseller. He said, but... I know that if it got accepted early on in the form it was, it would not be the book it is today. It wouldn't be a bestseller. It and this was their second book that they wrote. Now they wrote dozens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just love that story that in, in, in the moment you don't realize that there's, there's something bigger coming. Right. And there's truth to that. And we, we see that all the time in our lives. Yes. Which goes to exactly what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. And your ego will try and talk you out of believing that everything is happening for a reason. Because um, that's its job to try and keep you, quote, safe by staying comfortable, which is also a terrible zone to be in, you know, trying yeah. to convince yourself that it's not safe out there in your dreams. Is it safe out there? Uh, yes, with the right tools, with the right people around you. I, when I talk about it's safe to shine, I talk a lot, especially to women, about how important it is to find a community where you can practice being yourself and, and where you're received and celebrated for your awkwardness. Um, because I think that there can be too much too soon, like we talked about at the beginning. I adore this conversation. Me too, I Josh. Thank you. I adore you. Thank you. You you are beautiful on the inside and out. Funny thank on you. the inside and out. Yeah, that works. Yeah, man. My organs are hilarious. <laughs> and they're beautiful. <laughs> thank you. What? Well, let's leave it at that. Um, I'm going to leave you with the final question. Jen Letterer, how would you like to be remembered um, with a smile. Wow. That's stunning. <laughs> Period. We're going to put a cap right on that. Thank you, Jen. Really, really pleasure um, having you and having you show up and open up like you did. Thank you. This is great. Thank Thanks you, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.